Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we learn more about Derek Forbert, new member of the Winnipeg Jets. We'll check in with Nelson Nojay, Manitoba Moose defenseman, see how he's spending his time in Saskatoon. Finally, what's going on with Patrick Laine? Murata Tesh of The Athletic explains why the Jets should not trade him on the podcast. The Winnipeg Jets had a busy first week of free agency, re-signing restricted free agents Mason Appleton, CJ Cease, and Nelson Noje, along with newcomers Nate Thompson, Dominic Toninato, and defenseman Derek Forbert, who spoke with our Kelly Moore earlier today from his home in Duluth. And the conversation began with Forbert growing up pretty much the same as most kids from northern Minnesota. You know, my dad uh, built a rink in the backyard, and my mom ran a daycare, so that's kind of how I got started in the game. We had huge games with uh, all the daycare kids, and I think it just kind of started as a way to get us out of the house, to be honest with you. But um, that's kind of how I grew up playing hockey. And, um, and then I ended up playing high school and then went to the U.S. national team in North Dakota, which is just, uh, just down the road from you guys. So that's kind of how it got started. Were there any daycare kids that your mom looked after that went on to fame and fortune? Um. We, we, we had a couple D1 athletes, at the, but I don't think any other pro hockey players. Um, Andy Walensky was just down the street, but he wasn't really at the daycare. Um, and no, no fame and fortune, but yeah. really good players. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they helped you hone your hockey skills, obviously. Oh, for sure. We had uh, we had some good games back there. It was, uh, it was prison rules. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, uh, we I, I uh, covered hockey back uh, in the day, and Scott Arneal was one of the players. Remember, he used to refer to it as Hudson Bay rules. But I think we're probably both talking from the, from the same rule book there. Uh, yeah, yeah. What about what about now hunting and fishing? Did you ever get a six point buck? Did you ever uh, uh, grab something out of the water that everybody oohed and awed over? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I never got big into hunting. Um, like deer hunting season was always during hockey season here. So I never really got a chance to get into that. But, um, I mean, I, I grew up like walleye fishing all the time, like fishing in the St. Louis river here. So, um, I mean, nothing like too crazy. Uh, but just like your average, we just had some good times on the river. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a calming and relaxing type of hobby to have, isn't it? Oh, it's great. Nothing better than uh, you know, being on the boat with a bunch of your buddies and uh, just kind of relaxing and having a good time. You bet. Now, in the Zoom call that you had with Winni- uh, Winnipeg Media earlier this week, you also made reference to the fact that you used to be a baseball umpire. I don't know. if Did you play the game as well, Derek? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I played up until high school. And then after high school, then you became an umpire because I guess hockey kind of took over things. Is, would that be the right read on that? No, no. Like I was kind of like I was kind of like I was like an umpire like while I was like playing too. Like just kind of on days where I didn't have games. Yeah, and it was like I was just like younger younger kids. Right on. Yeah. That's right. I'm Neil. <laughs> yeah, Neil being Neil Pionk. Uh, as you well know, umpires have to develop a pretty thick skin. Uh, was there ever a situation where a parent really got on your case and you had to count to ten to not uh, or to avoid a confrontation? Rather, um, not really that I remember. But uh, I mean, parents definitely uh, definitely get definitely get on you. But I mean, 
beat a baseball umpire is hard. You gotta, it's basically a judgment call every 10 seconds, every pitch. So, um, I definitely, uh, it makes you kind of respect, uh, hockey referees a lot, a lot more after being an umpire. It's a pretty uh, tough job. So I see what they're uh, going through. Yeah, I I did that actually myself one time, uh, and I'll never forget. The worst job ever. It is, for sure, and I had a parent barking in my ear through the whole game, so about the fifth or sixth inning, I went and stood at the back of the backstop, the pitcher's ready to go, the batter's ready to go, and they're asking whether to do it. I said, well, obviously the view here is far better for calling balls and strikes than when I'm right behind the plate, so I thought I would call an inning from here. And I, yeah, I got it from the supervisor, but I did not hear a comment from that parent for the rest of the game. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a, it's the worst job ever. Like, yeah. there is, there's no winners and losers, or uh, there's no winners in that. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you went on to play for the U.S. National Development Team. Uh, I went back and 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 looked at some of the uh, people that you played with back in that 2009-10 season, and and there are some guys who've gone on to pretty decent NHL careers. That must have been a really good team to play on. Yeah, our uh, our team was awesome. Uh, we ended up winning the U18 gold medal, and um, like that was like the first year that we played in the USHL as a that was like that program. And we did really well in the USHL, and uh, we had so many good players. We had Justin Falk, John Merrill, Jared Tenorti, Brandon Saad, Zucker. Uh, I mean, the list goes Jack Campbell, our goalie. Like, our team was stacked. Yeah, Matt Nieto was, was another fun. name I recognized on that list as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, Nieto. Brian Ross, like, we had a deep team. Yeah. Hey, speaking of John Merrill, did you happen to see that video of him uh, coming home from the bubble? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. He's uh, he's a, he's probably one of the best guys in hockey, and um, yeah, that video is awesome. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, Derek Forbert is our guest. Uh, he signed with the Winnipeg Jets last week at a one-year deal uh, for one million, coming over from the Calgary Flames through unrestricted free agency. And uh, Derek, you mentioned that you uh, went from the uh, National Under-18 program uh, to the University of North Dakota and uh, had some pretty good seasons there before signing with Los Angeles uh, as a free. Uh, uh, no, you were drafted in the first round and then signed with LA, correct? Yep. Yeah, I wanted to make sure I got that uh, the homework right. Uh, first off, tell me what it's like, because we just did get through uh, the draft here not so long ago. Uh, what is it like when you have achieved something as lofty in your life at a very young age, uh, such as being drafted in the first round of your chosen profession? Uh, I mean, it's, it's an awesome experience, but uh, I mean, it's, it's a little different in hockey because you don't, a lot of times you don't really go right in after the draft, whereas like the NFL or NBA, you get drafted and you join that team immediately. So, um, I mean, the work really starts after you get drafted, is, uh, which just makes it a little different. But, um, I mean, it was an awesome experience for me. I mean, the draft was in L.A. I had all my family out there. And, uh, you know, to hear your name selected and walk up on that stage is uh, it's definitely uh, like a memory I'll never forget. So you went from UND played the last part of the season in Manchester, uh, but your first full season as a professional, uh, did you get a chance to go up to L.A. to be one of the so-called Black Aces during their run to the Cup? Yeah, I was uh, I was up there for about like half the time, I think. And uh, I don't remember when, but then they like they cut it down to like a certain number and most of the Black Aces ended up going home. So I was up there for a little bit. 
but you weren't there for when they did beat the Rangers to win the Cup and, and, and see how all that all unfolded, eh? No, no, I wasn't. Well, you must have used some of that experience uh, to good use because I believe the following year you won the Calder Cup uh, as a member of the Manchester Monarchs? Yep. Yeah, we had a, we had a really good team down in Manchester. And, uh, it, was a, it was a fun group, and, uh, you know, we ended up winning it all. What was that like? It was awesome. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely not as uh, as glorified as winning the Stanley Cup, but you know, anytime you win a trophy with a, a group of your buddies, and um, I mean, Paul Bissonnette still talks about it all the time on his podcast. Like it was, uh, we had such a fun team, and um, you know, to kind of grind it out and win it, it was uh, it was really special. After you you won that, uh, you know, Manchester's not a particularly big city, and I don't know how much time you spent there after winning, but uh, was it hard to get around town without not being recognized? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it was, uh, I'm trying to think what happened. Um, I remember all of our leases were up, so we were, like, all in a hotel, and so we were kind of, like, celebrating in the hotel, and I think the... uh, I think the police got called, and um, they ended up just wanting a picture with the color cut, so they didn't even really uh, care that we were being noisy in the hotel. But so that was a pretty funny story from after the from the celebrating. But um, yeah, the people in Manchester were uh, pretty fun. Yeah, I guess they would be. Uh, they, they came so close in a couple of other years before that. Uh, from that point on, uh, you get finally to establish yourself uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and and I guess playing with the Kings after they had, uh, had pretty well maxed out, uh, how long or how difficult was it, Derek, for you know some of the, the guys that had experienced that success like Drew Doughty and Andre Kopitar and uh, Dustin Brown and some of the other guys, uh, when it, the realization set in that perhaps the Kings weren't going to be able to maintain that status that they had through the, uh, you know, say about 2011 through 15? Um, I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, just like, I mean, speaking of like Drew Doughty, like he's such a competitor that like, I don't think his, like, his fire is ever going to go out uh, as far as trying to win. Um, that's not definitely not an issue with him, but, uh, I mean, yeah, all those guys are winners and, um, you know, it, it did kind of, it got a little flat, but I think, uh, you know, Rob Blake's doing a good job of trying to get it back. Is Drew Doughty as funny behind the scenes as, uh, as he can be, uh, even in the public, you know, he, he's such a breath of fresh air for hockey and that he is totally unfiltered and, and and I think the sport could use a little bit more of that from time to time. Oh yeah, for sure. Like um, especially like when he gets up in those Canadian markets, it feels like he just kind of lets loose, and um, it definitely makes the game later that day a little more interesting. If he's you know chirping someone or uh, you know throwing out some insane comments, so it was uh, it was fun being his teammate, and it, you know it made a lot of the games uh, a lot more fire to him, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, is he the best <laughs> player that you've ever had as a teammate? Oh yeah, for sure. He's like he's unbelievable out there. Um, it's, and like the bigger the game, the better he plays. So I think like you know, this last couple of years that uh, we're pretty bottom in the league, and um, but I think once like once they get back up there, he's uh, you're gonna see his game 
really really taken off again. On the counter side of things, Derek, who is the I, I don't want to say best because that's kind of subjective, but who is the player, or maybe there might be more than one, that uh, gave you as much trouble as you ever had during your time in the NHL? Oh, um, I mean, McDavid's tough to handle. Um, his speed is just, I've, I've never seen someone as fast as him but, uh, and can like, stick handle at the same time. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, someone that's always kind of is I. It seems like they're always like scoring six on five goals when I'm out there. Is uh, Joe Pavelski? He's always just finds a way to tip goals in, in front of the net. And he doesn't really do it in the flashiest ways, but he's probably been the biggest like biggest thorn in my team's side that I've ever been against. Um, especially in the playoffs this past year, he had a couple of big clutch goals and. It just seems like he's always, always scoring those goals and being annoying. Just before we let you go, Derek, <laughs> yeah, I like that term, annoying. And and on the Zoom call earlier this week, you displayed such a dry sense of humor. So, aside from that, uh, what kind of things can Winnipeg Jet fans look forward to from you when the season does finally get started? I mean, as far as hockey goes, I'm a, I'm a very defensive defenseman. Um, I like to uh, I like to penalty kill, I like to block shots, um, and you know usually my role is in like that steadying steadying force for a more offensive guy. So we'll see how that works out. But um, yeah, I'm definitely like a defense first guy. Now you played with Drew Doughty, so obviously you're comfortable in a top four role if that opportunity is available to you. Then I'm I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. Is that? Something you talked to Paul Maurice about after you signed, or is that just something that you'd uh, you'd let your talking uh, uh, do your talking on the ice rather when when camp starts? Yeah, I mean, me and me and Paul didn't really talk about anything like that. Um, it's definitely something that uh, you know I have to go into camp and you know show that I can handle it and you know work hard and you know hopefully earn that. Do you think Neil Pionk has gotten over the expanded strike zone? <laughs> I don't know. I've been working out with him. He's still he's still on me about a little bit, but um, yeah, he'll have to. <laughs> hey, Derek, thanks a bunch for this. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, getting to know you a little bit better with what you do on the ice uh, uh, when that 2021 season does finally get started. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Winnipeg Jets, they re-signed RFA defenseman Nelson Noje earlier this month. The 24-year-old defenseman from Saskatoon has played 11 NHL games in his career, most recently in December of 2018. He has played over 200, though, with the Manitoba Moose in his young career. And Nelson joins us now from the family homestead in Saskatoon. And, uh, uh, Nelson, how long have you been holed up there? Uh, pretty well since kind of the, the season pause. Like, So I went back there not really knowing what the plan was. And then went back to Winnipeg for phase three of the bubble and then came just back home uh, since then. So what have you been up to? Well, I'm, uh, I actually had a post-bubble surgery. I had a hernia taken care of. So I had some rehab and stuff uh, to take care of that. And then just kind of for the, since then, I've just been skating and in the gym, just trying to get prepared for an upcoming season that we don't know when it's really going to start. So. Um, as far as the training goes, that's kind of occupying most of my time. But uh, away from the training aspect of it, I'm, I'm taking some classes to kind of keep busy. And then 
now that the weather's getting a little colder here, hunting season's starting to gear up here in Saskatchewan. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting into the into the bush and doing some of that. So I was talking to Mason Appleton the other day about his hunting habits down in Green Bay. It's apparently buck season. Is that similar up here too? Yeah, I'm I'm going after deer as well. I'm doing whitetail deer. So um, it's something that I was really passionate about when I was a little bit younger, or like 16, 17, playing at home for the Saskatoon Blades. And then once I moved away from home, I haven't been able to do it as much. Um, just because it's, it's a little difficult to get things organized. And now that I'm back home here this time of year, it's something that I get to take advantage of. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So your body feels good? Yeah. No, everything feels good, yeah. Okay. I, I'm just curious from a, a training point of view. I mean, you've played hockey probably most of your life, and, you know, October is, is hockey season. When was the last time you were not playing hockey in the fall? Oh, jeez. Well, geez, for as long as I can remember, really, this is the first time ever that I haven't uh, played hockey in the fall. It really is. And so from a training point of view then, how odd is it that, you know, you're going into the gym and you're skating, but you don't know the next time you're going to play a game? Yeah, I mean, that that kind of, it's going to differ from player to player based on what the player's needs are. And for myself personally, it's just a matter of finding the balance of making sure that I'm in the gym for a, for a good a period of time, but not overdoing it. Like not having a, a set in stone start date is a little difficult to plan and um, kind of arrange your workouts and ice times, but just making sure you find that good balance so that you, you feel good at all times um, just kind of gives you the best, um, I guess, reason to feel successful, I guess, heading into a season whenever that may start. And have you heard anything at all about when a season could start either in the NHL or the AHL? No, there hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, we know just about as much as the general public does. I mean, hearing what was said during the the Stanley Cup finals there in Edmonton, um, I mean, the the closest that we think that we might be able to start an NHL season is beginning of January. So um, as as for now, that's about all that we have. What's the COVID protocol for skating and gyms and whatnot in Saskatoon? Um. I mean, I think it's a lot more relaxed than it is some places. Like we are, the number of people that you can have in the facility at a time, I think it's around 30. So that number is pretty high, but I mean, we never have that many players at any time. And when we're on the ice and stuff, like when you, when you show up to all the facilities, you have to make sure you hand sanitize. You have to be wearing a mask until you get into the actual either gym area or on the ice sheet. Um, obviously you have to kind of fill out any sort of, um, COVID tracking forms just so that they can make calls if there are any cases that come up uh, within the facilities. But you know what? Once you get into the gym and onto the ice, it feels pretty well normal. So we're, we're pretty fortunate here in Saskatchewan that uh, the case numbers are pretty low. You mentioned you're taking classes. Uh, what are you studying? I'm taking a couple of business classes through Athabasca University. So it's, uh, I mean, school is always a big thing that my, my family stressed on growing up, but it's something that I kind of grow in a passion for. So, um, I mean, I've always taken classes during season two, but now that I have a little more downtime, I can definitely focus a little more on the study side of things. So it's good. Well, you were the scholastic player of the year in the WHL a few years ago. So that makes sense. Yeah. 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 You betcha. Uh, from a, a hockey point of view, do you worry at all about, about rust? Um, I mean, no, not too, too much. Like I've had some unfortunate injuries where I've been sidelined for seven to eight months. 
a um, couple shoulder injuries, one in junior and then one in pro. So I know what it's going to feel like to have to come back after not being in games for a while. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is just the adjustment to the game pace and making sure that your reads and stuff are quick. So um, whether that's watching video or just trying to simulate stuff on the ice during practice, um, I mean, it's just taking care of those little details so that when it does come time where we can find ourselves playing games again, uh, you can make that adjustment a little bit quicker than others. I watched a feature uh, that Moose TV put together about communication, about how you're very loud on the ice. How important is communication when you're a defenseman in that level of hockey? It's extremely important. I mean, I mean, as I touched on in that segment, uh, it makes the game easier for everyone else on the ice. I mean, you're aware where everyone is, and you can be other guys' eyes too. So to be able to allow guys um, or give guys knowledge of what's going on around them and, and let them know that there's options available that they may not be able to see, just like I said, makes things easier for everyone else on the ice. You also said that you might be too loud sometimes. You still feel that way? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something that I'm working on. Sometimes I'm so loud, the guys have a little sense of panic when they hear me screaming across the ice. So it's just a matter of, I mean, I can still be loud, just maybe have a little more sense of calm in my voice to, to give guys a little bit of peace of mind that there's uh, not too, too much of a rush sometimes. Do they chirp you for how loud you're being? <laughs> No, no one on our team really gives me a hard time because, I mean, everyone loves a, a guy that talks on the ice, but there's definitely some t- uh, guys on the other team who will give me a hard time just being like, shut up, that's enough out of you, Noje. So it's something to laugh out after the game, but, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone knows that the more guys that are talk on, talking on the ice, the better. And I also uh, I was reminded of the Christmas video that the Moose put together last year where you dressed up as Ebenezer Scrooge and you were – in character and it was just this entire farce that the team put together how much fun was that yeah it was really fun i mean i enjoy doing things like that whether it's little team video promotions or uh, whether it's community engagement stuff like that so anytime that we can kind of have some fun away from the rink and get engaged with the community it's uh it's a fun thing to be a part of and definitely something that you can kind of relax a little bit and just kind of remove the hockey and the business side out of out of the picture how long did it take you to get into that get up (laughs) <laughs> took me a few minutes, yeah, but they had everything set out the way I needed to put it on, so that they made it pretty easy for me. I take it that uh, most of the guys don't have acting backgrounds? No, no, not at all. If you watch the video, you'd know real quick that there's not many, many of us who can, can pull that off. We should stick to playing hockey. Yeah, it's, a good, it's a good video, though. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, yeah. yeah. Living with your parents again, how's that going? It's good. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I'm extremely close with my parents. I mean, our family is extremely tight, so um, it's it's pretty easy to pretty easy to do. We have a family cottage here in Saskatchewan, so in the summer months, especially, you hardly even notice it because we're spending so much time back and forth to the cabin that um, I mean, you're always kind of bouncing around, so you don't notice it. But now that it's getting a little colder, we're spending a little more time at home, which is definitely fine. I do all my hunting with my dad, anyways, so. I mean, I'd be over at the house anyway. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something that I enjoy. I mean, I'm, there's no question that I'm looking for houses right now, but, I mean, as everyone knows, it's a pretty – the world's flipped upside down right now, so that that kind of process has kind of slowed down a little bit. So, What's your favorite meal that you get at home that you can't cook on your own? Well, I mean, there's lots of them. Don't get me wrong. My mom's a phenomenal cook, but um, – 
I do enjoy cooking myself. So I, there's actually times where once a week I'll try and pull the dish out of my my recipe book and try and make it for mom and dad. So it's, uh, I mean, the, the cooking my mom has is just phenomenal. So I can't complain about any dish. Every, every dish is good. Well, what's your specialty dish then? Uh, geez. I don't think I have one that like I would go to every single time. I mean, I love rotating between chicken and steak. And I mean, we have lots of deer in the freezer and elk and moose. So, um, I'm always changing it up. It's, uh, I have quite the, quite the menu that there is to choose from. So it's good. Cause I know for, for me, my recipe book is just simply my mom's recipe book that she passed down to me and my dad's tips passed down to me. Did you come up with these on your own or were they passed down from your parents? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously the, the dishes that I really, really like that my mom makes, and I know that'll be uh, pretty straightforward and doesn't take too much prep. I'll, uh, I'll make those, but I do like exploring and kind of adventuring around with my recipes. So it's kind of a mixture of everything. Well, now I'm getting hungry, so I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go make myself some food and uh, I appreciate you joining me tonight here on the CJB sports show. Thanks for your time and, and good luck with the rest of this off season. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, take care and stay safe. I feel like this is a bit of a broken record. Will the Jets trade Patrick Laine? Part of this is because, well, what else is there going on right now? We got baseball, there's football sometimes, and it's kind of it. But Jets fans certainly wondering if, when the season eventually starts, Patrick Laine will be in a Jets uniform. I've said on the record... I will drink a beer out of one of my skates if the Jets trade him. Should I get a beer in the fridge? Let's talk about this now with Murat Atesh, who covers the Jets for The Athletic. And Murat, I know your article today, you've been pushed into duty to write another article, and I feel like you've written a lot about this proposition lately, haven't you? Well, we've certainly talked about Patrick Laine and will they, will they not trade him, whether it's before the season starts, whether it's next summer when he's arbitration eligible, whether it's sometime down the line following the Jacob Truba path to one year before free agency. Whatever it is, the conversation doesn't seem to stop. And then, of course, Pierre Lebrun dropping the line A bomb yesterday on TSN, talking about the fact that his agents have quietly told that Kevin Shovel day off that it would be mutually beneficial if he was traded. So yeah, we're talking about it again. And I guess, you know, it seems ever more realistic uh, than, than even, you know, several weeks ago. But it, I, the question I keep coming back to is why, why should they trade Patrick line? It seems like a bad idea for them long-term. Well, as I wrote today, the best time to trade Patrick line is never. And the second best time is probably not soon. Uh, I can't make the argument that it's a good idea to trade a 22-year-old player with so many different dimensions to his game, such offensive promise. We know point production and all the analytics peak between 23 and 28. Here's a guy, I know he's been in the league for four years. He scored the seventh most goals in the NHL in those four years. But we're just entering what would normally be the peak output years of a player's career. Patrick Laine is about to hit that. And if you're giving away a player with that much promise, trading away, I should say, who knows what the return could be, um, trading away a player with that much promise, and at this stage of his career, he's the best player in the deal that you're making, it's nearly impossible to win that trade. It would be about losing it by the smallest possible margin. 
But Patrick Laine has not requested a trade. We need to make clear the language used by LeBron from Laine's agents was it would be mutually beneficial to both sides. How much of this do we think is just them perhaps posturing? Or do you think they could even be leveraging this into trying to force them into a long-term deal this year? You know what I interpreted it as was a little bit of a nudge. Every time that, you know, an agent makes something like this known through a giant uh, presence like Pierre Lebrun, his huge following on TSN and at The Athletic where you can read them, um, it's, it's for a reason. And what I think the reason is in this case, especially given that, you know, as the draft ended and free agency approached, Patrick Laine hadn't been traded. The conversations never got particularly close from what I understand. Then teams shifted gears towards what other ads that they could have without giving up assets. So talks cooled for a little while. We all know Winnipeg acquired Paul Stastny. I think the consensus, or at least the hope in Winnipeg, was okay. Well, you've got Mark Scheifele, you've got Paul Stastny. There is no way that Patrick Laine is going to go through the full next season without playing with a very good center, boosting his numbers, getting basically being as happy as he could possibly be. So perhaps these trade talks are going to stay cool. And I think what this is on the agent's part is just a little bit of a nudge saying, hey, we see everything that's happened, but we still believe that the best fit for Patrick Laine is somewhere other than Winnipeg. Right, because what he's been dealing with up the middle the last couple years have been less than Paul Stasny, right? He kind of got the taste with Paul Stasny in 2018, and then it's been Brian Little and Kevin Hayes and Cody Eakin and Andrew Kopp and any kind of variety of of players that have played with him in the middle. We obviously haven't heard from Line a himself, just this through his agents. Yesterday is the, the one, I guess, big item we've received. The Jets, for their part, have not refuted anything. Chevy's basically just said, yeah, we're, we're looking at all our options. And that's what a general manager should, should say, right? Absolutely. I mean, Kevin Shoveldayoff can do himself no, famor, no favors by getting into specifics on this situation. I believe that he's talked to other teams about Patrick Laine. I clearly don't believe that he's found any kind of package or deal that he likes, and that's why Patrick Laine hasn't been traded. And I don't even necessarily think that you're at risk of drinking that beer out of your skate anytime soon either. Um, I... I don't think that any of this means something is imminent. We know what Kevin Sheveldayoff's history is patience-wise, whether it was with Jacob Truba, Evander Kane beforehand, even Dustin Bufflin in a completely different light, giving Bufflin as much of the season as he did last year to sort of work himself out. There's no way that Sheveldayoff's going to be cornered into trading a player like Patrick Liney before he's ready. I just think that there absolutely are conversations being had about it, whether he'll say, well, let's put it this way. If he wanted to deny it 100%, he absolutely would have done so. How much of this is because of this unprecedented offseason we're having with the cap being what it is because of the pandemic? Well, you know what the impact of that is, in my opinion, I, I believe that it makes it more difficult to trade a player like Patrick Laine right now. There are five teams in the NHL already over the cap maximum, and you know that's okay for the offseason, but they'll need to get in shape before the season begins. Uh, more than half the league wouldn't be able to fit his $6.7 million salary without trading salary back to the Jets, which I suppose is reasonable. But the problem is, even you know, day by day, as more contracts get added and we've had less free agency activity in terms of dollars spent than we typically do this far into the season, um, the more these dollars get accounted for, not just this year, but for next summer as well, when Line is due for a raise, 
his qualifying offer will be $7.5 million minimum. And well, that'll be his qualifying offer. Any deal he gets through arbitration or signed with the team will almost definitely be much more than that. Um, there is not a surplus of teams who actually have room to fit him in cap-wise, let alone give what they think are fair assets in exchange for Patrick Lining. So the market, given the $81.5 million cap, just like you said, and it's not going up anytime soon, is not ideal to be trading a, a star forward who, with the kind of offense that he has if you're looking for full value in return. So one of the conversations about this on online, and you could always lose yourself in Twitter when it comes to covering a sports team for sure, you look at what people are saying about his usage, right? Is Patrick Laine okay to be upset about how he's being used on the Winnipeg Jets? Do you find that Patrick Laine has been used the way he should be? I mean, you can look at different pockets of his career and come up with different conclusions. I wouldn't begrudge the guy if he wanted more. Certainly the average minutes that he's played in each season is, is closer to a second line right wing player than a first line right wing player. Uh, you can make the argument that he would want more than that. You know, he's a highly competitive person who wants the best for himself. At the same time, there's a right winger in Winnipeg by the name of Blake Wheeler and giving first line minutes in, especially in line A's rookie season, sophomore season over a player like Blake Wheeler. I mean, that's a tough argument to make necessarily as the years go by. Certainly line is going to catch and eclipse Wheeler as line gets better and Wheeler's age hits him. So there is a little bit of that. Certainly last year, there was also that spell where uh, Patrick Lining was pulled off the top power play unit, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. And there have been this constant conversation about his quality of center, whether it was Brian Little, with whom he never really developed tremendous chemistry. Cody Eakin is not a top flight center. Um, he hasn't traditionally gotten much time with Mark Shifley in most of his seasons, although this season he certainly did. Um, you can make the argument in either direction, I think. So I wouldn't begrudge the player, but I mean, at the same time, I think he's an adult human being who can look at the situation in front of him. And if it were 100% about usage, if it were 100% about line mates, I think he'd be looking at Paul Stastny, who's just acquired the chemistry they had together, and he'd be sizing up a really tremendous offensive season coming his way. Paul Maurice to blame for any of this? Well, I think in the same vein that I just called Patrick Liney an adult human being. I mean, Paul Maurice is an adult human being. There's he's a leader. He's a he's a vocal person whose biggest strength is is meant to be it's interpersonal, right? We hear him speak all of the time. And if there is discontent um, and we know that he, he spoke to Liney personally, not the most recent summer, but the last time we had a proper offseason, he made a one-on-one -on -one visit with, with Patrick Liney. You know, to the extent that leadership and coming from the, the folks with letters on the Winnipeg Jets team, but also the head coach, Paul Maurice, and that should be his strength, to the extent that relationships are at, are at play, if they are at all, um, then you would look to somebody like that to, to wear uh, at least a portion of that, or at least be doing everything he can to sort of patch those things up. So should he be blamed for this? It really depends on what the honest truth is, uh, you know, behind closed doors and, and, and good luck getting somebody to, to say something that you can cite and attribute for that. So last question, when the Winnipeg Jets season begins in 2021, is Patrick Laine in a Jets uniform? My opinion, yes, he is. I think he will be traded before the end of uh, his Winnipeg's rights over him, but I, I don't think there's any reason for it to be imminent. Okay, there you go. Maratitesh, one man's take. We trust his take, and I hope that uh, my skate remains clean 
and free of beer. Appreciate your time, Murat. Enjoy your weekend. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Christian. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?